right, so uh, I want to invite Pastor Russ up on stage now. Uh, some of you know him. Yeah. I'll, I'll allow him to introduce himself, but uh, Pastor Russ is from Sunrise, right? And, um, and uh, <laughs> last time I checked. <laughs> yeah, no, we're really grateful to have you here, and um, praying, praying the Lord really speaks through you this morning. Amen. Thank you, Danny. So great to see you and your brother up here leading us in worship, and I'm looking out here. I just sat down, and, and people came in, and so I'm looking around, and I'm seeing faces that I know and faces that I don't know, so I hope I'll afterwards get a chance to meet you personally if we haven't met before, uh, and I'm just grateful, grateful to be with you. Es un privilegio estar con ustedes. I'm really uh, excited. This is something that Pastor Carlos and I have been wanting to do for a long time, to have this exchange uh, for us to benefit at least. I think the two of us probably benefit the most by getting together like this. Uh, but we hope there will be other opportunities for the Sunrise Congregation and for Imago maybe to do things together, to worship together. We'll have to be thinking and praying about that. So if you have any ideas, uh, send them our way. But it is just so good to be with you. We are the parent church for Imago Church, in case you don't know that. It's been a five-year journey since Pastor Carlos and Charlotte and just Lemmy landed here in the Central Valley, and then Lael came along, and I understand you had a baptism a couple weeks ago with him and others being baptized, so God is doing great things. There's life here, and there's more life to come. I know that. So it's just, you know, we, like I said, we wanted to do this for a long, long time, to have this kind of exchange, but, you know, things kind of got in the way. Uh, one thing in particular, and I think you probably know what that one thing is, um, just the last 18 months, right, uh, with this pandemic thing we've been going through, and uh, we've had to face a lot. We've gone through a, a lot of challenges. Uh, there have been many changes in our lives over the last 18 months since March of 2020, uh, many adjustments, many restrictions, many stresses and strains, I think you get the idea of what I'm saying here. And so it's, it's almost like back in uh, March of 2020, it's almost like this big, gigantic pause button got hit on the world, right? And we stopped. Everything just stopped. And it's only now that it feels like somewhere along the line, the play button got pushed again. And we're starting to come out of this, this twilight zone kind of time but it's, it's slow going. It's like we're, we're starting to live in slow motion. It's like a train that's on the tracks and it's trying to get going again, right? Just trying to get that momentum going and getting back to that. And that's where we are. Um, so here we are today. And as I uh, thought and prayed about coming here, I really wanted to bring some words of encouragement to you, but not my words. I want to bring God's word to you. And that's where we're going to go right now. I want to invite you, if you have a Bible handy, to turn with me to the scripture that I want to read for you. Vamos a leer la Biblia. It's from the prophet Isaiah. That's in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm going to read a good chunk here. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 18 to 31. Isaías 40, versículos 18 al 31. I'm going to read it in, in English. Uh, I think we'll get some Spanish up on the screen there. You'll be able to follow along if you are more comfortable in Spanish. But let's... Focus in on what God's word has to say to us. This is the word of the Lord inspired by the Holy Spirit through 
the inspired prophet. And Isaiah says this, to whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for that. So here in Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet is speaking to the people of Israel. And he's speaking to the people of Israel in a time where they're going through some incredible upheaval, incredible chaos, incredible stress, strain, change. And the reason for that is that the people of Israel have been sent packing from their homeland. They've been captured and carted off and taken into captivity by the Babylonians, the Babylonian Empire, the world power of that day. And the reason that they have been sent packing into exile is because Israel has forsaken God. Israel has forgotten God. They've turned uh, to the worship of idols, false gods, dead statues instead of God. But not only that, they've also turned to bowing down to the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. Uh, they have adopted the astrological spiritual practices of the nations around them, including the Babylonians. The Babylonians bowed down to dead gods and the Bab Babylonians worshiped the stars and the planets and all of that. And so God basically kind of says, well, you want to be like them? Then you can be with them. Go ahead. Make my day. And he sends them off. It's like God hits this big 
pause button. And he puts Israel in timeout in order to get their attention. And so there they are. And in this place of darkness, in this place of stress and strain and, and chaos, God finally, after a period of time, speaks into the deafening silence. God speaks almost in the way that he did at the very beginning of time. God spoke into the darkness and the chaos of Genesis chapter 1. He said, let there be light. He spoke a message of power and the whole world came into being. Well, God is speaking again into the darkness and the chaos of Israel's situation. And he's got a message for them. It's a message of both challenge and comfort. Now, the comfort part comes as a promise from God that he is going to intervene and make a road back to Israel for the people. God is going to deliver the people at the right time. He's going to bring about a new exodus for Israel. Dios va a traer un nuevo exodo. I love that word exodus. Uh, the word exodus is really two Greek words put together. Out and road. Ex is out. Odas is road. An exodus is a road out. The first exodus for the people of Israel was back in a book called, guess what, Exodus. And in that book, we learn how God delivered the people of Israel out of slavery, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And how did God do that? He made a road out. He made a road out of Egypt, and that road went through the Red Sea. He parted the waters, and there was a dry highway right in the middle of the sea, and God led the people out. Well, here God in, in, in Isaiah chapter 40 says he's going to bring about a new exodus. In verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 3, this is what it says. A voice of one is calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. God's going to bring out about a new exodus. This time, this time not through the water. He's going to do it through the sand. He's going to do it through the desert. He will make a straight road for Israel to get out of their predicament. That's the comforting part. But then there's the challenge part. And the challenge part is this that if God fulfills his promise, here's the issue. The people of Israel need to get crystal clear again on who God is because they've lost sight of that. In fact, if you go through the book of Isaiah, one of the themes that runs through this book is this idea that Israel has eyes but can't see. They have ears but they can't hear. They're always seeing but they're never perceiving. In other words, it's right in front of their faces, but they don't get it. And God is saying, you've got to understand who I am. And so, who is God? Who is God? That's the real question here in Isaiah chapter 40. And in verse 18, we're told God is unlike any other. So to whom then will you compare God, verse 18 says. What image will you compare him to? Nothing can be compared to God. God is not the creation 
of human hands, like the idols. Verse 19, as for an idol, a craftsman casts it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold. Verse 20, a man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. What will you compare God to? You can't compare God to anything that you create out of your hands because that's not God. God is not a block of wood. God is not a, a lump of metal that you put together and then you shape it into your image and then you gotta prop the thing up so it doesn't fall down. You don't create God in your image. God's created you in his image. Do you understand who God is? And second, verse 25 goes on, verse 25, 26, to tell us God is not like the, the stars in the sky. He's not like some celestial body. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Again, God says, you know, there's nothing like me. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. God is not some star or planet or galaxy that you bow down to. God is the one who made the stars and the planets and the galaxies. He's the one that's named them, as we sang before. You name the stars. He's numbered them. He's put them in their places. God is not the one you bow down to as if he were a star. He's the maker of the stars. He is the creator of everything in the heavens and everything on the earth. And he's in this whole separate class from all of that stuff. He's unique. He's all by himself. He's holy. That's who God is. And God's not only the creator of it all, Isaiah wants us to know God is the supreme authority over it all. We go to verses 22 and following. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He brings princes to naught and reduces the ruler of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. No created thing can compare to God. No ruler can compare with God. In fact, he's the one that plants the rulers. All the people that seem so powerful, all those guys in positions of authority that seem so great, God plants them like little seeds of grass and plucks them up and blows them away in a year or two, and they are gone. Because God is above all of that. The people are like grasshoppers, and so if he puts in leaders on the plane of history, he can flick them off like a grasshopper on a picnic table. He's the ruler of it all. And then in verse 21, there's this question. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? Understood what? That God is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Again, he's above it all. 
in his own category. And, and Israel, God's people, need to get crystal clear on this because they've forgotten. They've not seen it. In fact, their ignorance and their, their blindness is so bad, they think God's the one that doesn't get it. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. God doesn't understand. God doesn't see. God doesn't get what's going on in my life. He doesn't know any of that. Really? If God is the almighty creator and he's the total ruler over it all, that means he's got all the wisdom and all the power. He's got all the understanding and all the ability to deal with whatever is going on with Israel. Not only that, God has all the wisdom and all the power, the understanding and the ability to know what's going on with us. Our way is not hidden from the Lord. Now, we as human beings, we don't have all the wisdom and all the power. We like to think we do. But we don't. As limited human beings, we are subject to the second law of thermodynamics. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't know what the second law of thermodynamics is in mathematical terms. I couldn't put the formula up here on the board for you. I just remember it from physics, and I will give you the rough and dirty version of what I understand the, the second law of thermodynamics to be. It's this. Everything tends to chaos. Everything in the universe is such that it is going to disintegrate, break down, fall into disorder over time. It will not last. Everything tends to chaos. You don't believe me? Consider your child's bedroom. Everything tends to chaos. Or, if you will, how about your kitchen? or your garage, right? I don't know about you guys, but I clean my garage and I'm hardly in it. I hardly use my tools, but somehow everything tends to chaos. Pretty soon I need to clean my garage again. If you don't believe everything tends to chaos, consider your powers of concentration after 9 p.m. every night. I'm thinking tonight's gonna be worse because of the time change. <laughs> It's going to be worse. 9 p.m., it's going to be, oh, I can't do this. Everything tends to chaos. Consider your health. Consider the trajectory of human life. Everything is set up in this universe so that, that over time it's going to disintegrate. It's going to go into decay, into a state of disorder. Everything that right now just seems so exciting and, and, and so uh, alive and so vibrant and so wow, right? Everything that is so uh, invigorating, it's going to descend into chaos. I just heard that ABBA is coming back. Any ABBA fans out there? 
I'm just like, wow, Abba's coming back after 40 years. They don't look the same. They descended into chaos. Their music is still pretty good, but wow, they don't look like they did back in the 70s with those costumes, right? Everything is going to change over time, and it's going, to, it's going to go downhill, so to speak. And in the end, everything that has life will be paused. Permanent. Because we're not just under the, the second law of thermodynamics, we're under the law of sin and death. We're in this fallen world where sin has crept in and the curse of sin has affected the creation in such a way that everything will be paused. But not not God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. God is in a class all his own. God is unique in, in, in terms of everything else there is. Uh, I just got done reading a, a pretty thick book uh, from a biblical scholar named Richard Bauckham. And uh, this book, uh, part of what he was talking about is the, uh, the God of Israel. The book was called Jesus and the God of Israel. And part of his point was that in, in Isaiah 40, but also in the Old Testament in general, the main picture of God we get, the, the portrait of who God is in the Old Testament and in Isaiah 40 is that God is the uncreated creator and he is the unconquerable ruler of it all. Those two things, God is creator and ruler and he's in this class all by himself. And, and what Bauckham said is it's almost like there's, there's God, okay? God, the ultimate creator and ruler and then there's this big thick line and then there's everything else, everything. And there's nothing on that side of the line that can be on this side of the line. There's God, big line, everything else. And God is unique. He is the uncreated creator and the unconquerable ruler. And part of what Isaiah is telling us here is that this unique God who is over it all, who's created it all, is going to give his people a different kind of pause. You see, the second law of thermodynamics, the law of sin and death, will give us a pause. It will give us the pause of total separation and disintegration from God. But this God wants to give us a different kind of pause. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God has the ability to do what we cannot do for ourselves. 
Now, 100 years ago, the Coca-Cola company, as I understand it, had an ad campaign. Uh, maybe you've seen it if you're into antiques and you go to antique shops, you might see these old Coke advertisements or signs or posters for Coca-Cola. And 100 years ago, there was a very popular ad campaign that said, Coke is the pause that refreshes. Coca-Cola es la pausa que refresca. Coke is the pause that refreshes. What was that saying? Well, basically it was saying that anytime you're tired or you're, it's been a hard day at work or you're busy or you've been exercising, whatever it is, all you need to do is crack open an ice cold Coca-Cola and Coke will pick you up. Coke will, will energize you. Coke will invigorate you. Why? Because Coke is the pause that refreshes. Of course, what makes Coca-Cola so successful is that it isn't the pause that refreshes because after a while, you need another Coke, right? That's the whole premise. That's how Coca-Cola has become the number one recognized logo in the world because it's not the pause that refreshes. It's the pause that gives you a little bit of refreshment, but then you need another one. So you keep buying Coke. But you see, God is not like that. God is the everlasting God. He's not controlled or limited or subject to the second law of thermodynamics. God never needs to take a break. God never needs to rest. God never needs to pause. Rather, he is the one who gives us refreshment. He's the one who gives life. He gives new breath, new energy, new hope, all of these things. God, Isaiah is saying, offers his people the pause that truly refreshes. In fact, the message of the Bible is that he has done this. He's given us the only pause that could ever refresh us truly. If we go to the New Testament, I want to share this with you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Colossenses 1, 15 al 17. Listen to what this says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who is this talking about? Well, it's talking about God. But specifically, it's talking about the Son of God. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Se trata de Jesucristo. But listen to how this describes Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. What will you compare God to? Jesus. And it says he's the firstborn over all creation. Él es sobre la creación. In fact, it says he's over everything, and he's created everything. He's created powers and rulers and authorities. Everything's been created by him and for him. He's before all things. Everything holds together in him. What is this saying about Jesus? It's saying that Jesus Christ is on the side of the line that only God can be on. He's the 
almighty creator and the total ruler of it all. Now, we've got to be clear on this. Jesus Christ was not a human being who crossed the line and became God. But rather, from all eternity, he was the everlasting God who crossed the line and became a human being. The uncreated creator crossed the line and became a creature. The total ruler of all, the supreme authority over everything, crossed the line. And he became a weak, helpless, tiny little baby. No power whatsoever. And he grew. He grew according to the laws of that creation into a little uh, boy and then a young man. And as a young man, he displayed wisdom that could only come from the other side of the line, right? He displayed wisdom by teaching the truth of God and power that could only be from the other side of the line. He healed the sick and cast out demons and, and raised the dead. But Isaiah says, even youths grow tired and weary, even young men stumble and fall. By becoming a human being, the Son of God was subject to the laws of sin and death even though he never sinned. And he stumbled. The young man stumbled with the weight of the world's sin on him by dying on a cross. Get this. The, the almighty God and the total ruler of all was put to death paused on the cross. Jesus Christ crossed the line to where you and I were so that we might in some way cross the line and be reconciled to God. And three days later, what did he do? He rose from the dead to soar on wings like eagles, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not be faint, so that he could become, for us, the true pause that refreshes Jesus Christ is that one. That's the good news that we proclaim. And so Isaiah is saying, when we hope on the Lord, wait in the Lord, when we look to Jesus Christ and, and we look to him as our hope, we can be truly refreshed. We can be truly connected to our creator and our ruler whose weakness becomes our strength. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says it this way. It says, The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. It's the foolishness of Jesus' death on the cross. It is the weakness of his death that becomes for us our strength. And that's why, as human beings... We, as Paul said, we can actually glory in our weakness. Paul said, I glory in my weakness. Why? Because when I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm weak, he's strong. And, and so this is the encouragement I want to give you. This is an incredible encouragement that through the weakness of Jesus Christ, the foolishness of Jesus Christ, we are given the hope, the power, the encouragement, the purpose, the energy that we need 
everything we need but could never earn for ourselves and certainly could never deserve. It's found in Christ. And it's found by embracing him as the son of the living God, the true ruler over it all. And so this morning, I want to bring this word of challenge and comfort to you, to Imago Church. And, and the comfort part is this. I truly believe that God is up to something good and that he is at work right now to create a road out for Imago Church, a road out of where you've been in the last 18 months, which has been hard, but there's a road out. And the road is Jesus himself. He's the exodus. And that road out is not just a road out of wherever you are, it's a road into the community. There are more people to reach for Imago Church, more, more people to touch, more people to impact, more people to love and embrace and to draw into this community. And I want to encourage you, follow Jesus into that road that he's going to create for you and is creating for you. And then the, the word of challenge is similar. The word of challenge is get to know God. Get to know who Jesus is. Don't lose sight of him. He understands where you are as a church and as an individual, but get to know him. Sometimes that seems like that's not the most productive thing to do. If we could just solve our problems, right? I just, I got this problem, just tell me the answer and I'll solve it and then I'll go on. But sometimes the answer is not to solve the problem. The answer is get to know God. Does that make sense? Not from a human point of view, but from God's point of view, it does. Get to know him. I had, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I can remember this very clearly, one of our beloved Sunrise leaders came to me one day and we sat in the patio of my house and and this man, just a wonderful man, he was on the floor. I mean, he was just deflated, discouraged. He felt like a failure. He'd been through some things. He'd made some mistakes. He was trying to figure out what to do. And, and he, was just, he was just so completely down. And as a pastor, my, my first instinct is to want to fix that, right? My, my first instinct was to want to be his cheerleader, you know, like, rah, rah, pick yourself up. You know, just grab those bootstraps and here you go. You got this, brother. You can do it. Yay. You know, all those words that we love to give people but we hate hearing when we're in trouble, right? And so I think it had to be the Holy Spirit. It was not me, certainly. But in that moment, I resisted that temptation to give him the quick fix, it wouldn't have been a fix anyway. And I simply said, I asked one question. Where do you see God in this? Where do you see God in this issue, this problem? What do you think Jesus is, is doing right now? And as we talked about this, and as he started to think about what God was up to and where was God and, and how God was showing himself, his eyes got brighter again. And, and this amazing thing happened. His problem didn't get solved at all, but he was refreshed. He was refreshed. Why? Because he saw that all of a sudden the issue wasn't solving the problem. The issue was that through this problem, God wanted him to get closer to him. 
And he had an opportunity in this problem to get closer to God, get closer to his wife, to get closer to becoming the man of integrity and faith that God wanted him to be. That was really what was going on. People of Imago Church, Isaiah has a word for us this morning. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. God invites you today to renew your strength by looking to Jesus Christ, the pause that refreshes. So I want to pray for you in just a moment here, but I also want to give you an opportunity today to pray. Uh, in just a moment, we'll have some music going, and we have some people that are here ready to pray with you this morning. Are you in a place of discouragement, depression, lacking energy? Are you being kicked by the law of thermodynamics and by the consequences of sin and junk in your life? Whatever it might be, we have people that would just love to pray with you. They don't have the answers but God does, and we want you to be refreshed this morning in his presence, and so I'm going to pray for us, but then in just a moment, we'll have some people up here, and you can simply come and stand before them and ask them for prayer, and they will pray for you and with you, so let's go to the Lord together. Thank you, God, for this encouraging word from your word, and thank you that, that what we're looking for is not just strength, not just wisdom. We're looking for you, and you are the embodiment of these things, Jesus. Thank you for, for coming. Thank you for crossing the line to be with us. And I want to pray for each person here today, whatever circumstances may be.
crossing from the pen of the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians. He simply says this, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he strengthen you in every good deed and word. Que nuestro Señor Jesucristo mismo y Dios nuestro Padre que nos amó y por su gracia nos dio consuelo eterno y una buena esperanza nos anime y les fortalezca el corazón para que tanto en palabra como en obra haga todo lo que sea bueno. Go in peace and may the Lord bless you and keep you as you go forward. El Señor les bendiga.
Just get broken Ooh, I hope again No matter what I know